Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello everyone and welcome once again to our online church platform. It's always a wonderful blessing for us to be together in this way. We have started meeting in our services as well and we've been having a wonderful time there as well. I really just bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and also just regarding the times that we're living in with COVID-19 as much as we've been given opportunity to uh, meet in larger numbers, we are still taking great precaution uh, concerning the whole COVID-19 thing. And it's really important. We want to admonish you to take care of your family and obviously keep your hands clean and, and, and your mask and, and all of that. But the most important factor is to make sure that Jesus Christ is Lord in your heart and that you're not stirred up in fear. There have been some people that have been affected quite closely with friends and family being uh, lost to this uh, sickness, to this virus. Uh, but we want to continue to encourage you that despite everything that's happening, the Word of God is still true. The Word of God is still relevant. And we want to encourage you to remember that and to meditate on that. Uh, this past Monday, we had our men's prayer meeting, our men's only prayer meeting where the men are uh, coming and, and, and coming before God and, and praying concerning the nation, concerning their families, concerning the church, and concerning their personal lives. It's quite an amazing experience to see uh, because of the fact that God has always commissioned men, especially in their homes, to take the lead spiritually, and these men are starting to rise up. So we had quite a relatively full house, and we want to encourage all the men that if you missed out, it's something that I really believe the Spirit of God is admonishing us to not miss out on that one. The next one that's coming up, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about how to work your faith and, and have a couple of testimonies around that as well. I want to encourage you as well to join a connect group if you're not connected yet. Uh, in the connect group, it's a small group of men or women that come together in the week uh, to basically encourage one another in the, in the Word of God and grow spiritually and, and have some accountability and encouragement in that group. So if you're not in a connect group, you're really missing out on the opportunity to grow spiritually. Iron sharpens iron, says the word of God, and so another man sharpens another man. And so it's very important that you join a connect group. And then next week, we've got our cluster weekend where we usually come together as leaders from our different congregations throughout the country to celebrate what God is doing and to give an impartation to the various leaders concerning where God is taking us. And then on the Sunday of that weekend, we are going to have a special Sunday where we'll be setting in new leaders, doing some transitions in terms of other leaders, uh, and thanking leaders for, for the work that they've been doing, anointing leaders. And so it's a special service that we are going to have. You might want to be in the, in the building during that time. I believe that the, the, the children's church is also in the process of, of working out how they will continue to minister to the kids. But really just a shout out to the children's ministers. Uh, one of my kids went on the Victory Weekend camp uh, over the weekend uh, previously, and it was amazing. I had the opportunity in the week to, to pray with him in the evening, and he, he was praying in tongues, 10-year-old. And it was really awesome, uh, an amazing experience as a father to share with your children. And so thank you very much to the children's ministry and Caroline and the team. You guys are doing an amazing work. Awesome. So we're continuing today with our series on the atonement. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that your word is timeless. 
Lord, and wherever we may find ourselves, your word is always relevant and impactful in our lives. It is food to our spirits, Lord. And this morning or this, this day, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are able to minister that to us through, through the preaching of the word. I thank you that it's not going to return void, but transformation is going to take place by the spirit of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we started a new series a couple of weeks ago called The Atonement. On the first week, we spoke about the Passover origins and where it comes from. It was the weekend of the, of the Easter, quote-unquote Easter, and we were talking about the Passover. And uh, it was, that Sunday would have been Resurrection Sunday, but, you know, the resurrection is not only applicable to the Easter. It actually should be a factor every day, every moment of your life. You are living in the resurrected Christ. Your relationship is with the resurrected Christ. And we'll go into the details uh, today about that message. The second week, last Sunday, uh, Malcolm preached about the scapegoat and the lamb and how Jesus was the greatest scapegoat in the world and how he carries the sins of the world away. And that is such an important message that many people don't understand. And so they therefore carry so many guilts uh, and so much guilt and condemnation throughout their lives or they treat people around them with that kind of scapegoat mentality. So go back into that message. It was really an an, an impactful message. Today we're going to be dealing with the evidence and the power of the resurrection. The following segment has to do with eternal forgiveness. So awesome. Today we're going to talk about the evidence and the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, many of you have probably been at a funeral, and most of us have encountered the loss of a loved one or a friend. And the question that always comes to us is, what actually happens on the other side? It is the massive uh, existential question that most human beings, if not all human beings, grapple with. That, is this all there is? The, the 50, the 70, the 80, the, the 100 years that we live here, is that all there is? And many people have that kind of hedonistic uh, sort of a perspective on their lives. And so they say, live now, live your best life now, because once you close your eyes, it's over, and then there's nothing on the other side. Uh, when you die, there's nothing. But this is not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that there is an eternity to the soul and spirit of mankind, whether they be born again or not, that Everyone is going to live forever. The question is just where you will be living forever. And the question is, when when you're talking to people who are grappling with this issue, they always say, yeah, but how do you know? No, well, the Bible tells us, well, how do we know that the Bible is accurate concerning a version of what happens after you die? And the, the wonderful thing is that we don't only have the, the scriptures to, to give us that, that sort of um, encouragement and guidance, but we, we know someone who died and went into the grave for three days, and after three days they came back out of the grave, and they've got a, a personal experience and an encounter and details concerning what happens when a man or woman dies. And it's interesting that the Word of God keeps speaking about how when, when someone dies, they go into a place of rest or they go into a, a sleep, so to speak. 
And it is really important, it's, it's important that we understand that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the, it's at the center of our faith. It's at the center of what divides humanity, those who believe and, and recognize the resurrected Christ and those who do not. I'm, le- I'm reading from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 22. Luke was a medical doctor. He he writes the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. Very interesting accounts as he gives the life and and death and resurrection account of Jesus. We read this also in the first week. Verse 22 says, And Jesus said to them, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And we spoke in the first week about how it doesn't say the Son of Man will suffer or will be rejected or will be killed. It says must. It's an imperative. It is the only way that God made for salvation. And part of that is incomplete if Christ only suffered, only was rejected, only died, only was buried, and he was not raised, then salvation and redemption would be completely in complete. Now, is Jesus the first one to be raised from the dead? Absolutely not. And he wasn't the last one either. I'm going to go through a list of accounts. In the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, there is the account of uh, the the, the prophet Elijah who who comes to a woman, uh, a widow in Zarephath, and her son dies, and the, 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 the prophet Elijah raises her son from the dead. And then there's another woman called the Shulamite woman. She also has a son who is raised from the dead by Elisha, the prophet. And thereafter, there is an Israelite man that is also raised from the dead because there were men who found the man dead and then brought him to bury him in a tomb where the bones of Elisha were. And when, they, when the man's body fell on the bones of Elisha, the man was resurrected from the dead because of the power that was still in the bones of the prophet. And so we see all these accounts in the Old Testament make us realize that it's not the first time that someone was raised from the dead in that Christ was raised from the dead as well. And then in the New Testament, there's a woman, a widow in Nain, and uh, her son is raised by Jesus. Jesus encounters the procession going to the, the, the burial ground in the funeral, and he stops, he stops the procession and he raises the woman's uh, son from the dead. Another one that was raised from the dead is Jairus' daughter. After the woman with the issue of blood stops Jesus by touching his garment and she gets healed, then the people come from Jairus' home, 12-year-old daughter dying, and they tell him, look, your daughter died, don't bother the master anymore. And Jesus goes to his house to raise the daughter from the dead. And then there's Lazarus, the famous Lazarus account where Jesus delays in coming to uh, heal Lazarus. He dies, and after four days, Jesus then raises Lazarus from the dead by calling him out of the tomb after his body was already stinking. Then we have the account chronologically of Jesus obviously being raised from the dead. Then on the, t- on the night when, on the account and the, the day when Jesus gives his last breath, there is an earthquake and there are accounts of saints that were buried in Jerusalem being raised from the dead at the time when Jesus is dying. 
And that's another account that we see in the scriptures. Another one is Tabitha or Dorcas, who was someone in the group, in, in the fellowship of the believers, who was a very good woman in terms of the benevolent acts that she used to do in the community. And she dies, and she is raised from the dead by the apostle Peter. Thereafter, there's the account of Eutychus. Eutychus is a young man that was listening to the preaching of Paul. He was sitting up in the, in the top story of the house and uh, top floor of the house. And while Paul was preaching, he was probably taking long in his message, uh, the man started dozing off. He fell asleep and fell off the window where he was sitting and died when he fell on the floor from the message of the apostle. <laughs> and then Paul basically goes down and, and flings himself on the, on, the, on the boy's body and raises him back up from the dead. So resurrection is throughout the scriptures. And I mean, there are even accounts today of people that have been raised from the dead. It is not uncommon. The question is, one, why is it that this is such a big deal if it's happening so often? The difference between all these accounts and the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus was predicted in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We just read earlier on how he was talking to his disciples and saying, look, the Son of Man, me, I'm going to be suffering, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and then I'll be raised from the dead. The apostle Peter even told Jesus, no, I will not allow it to happen. And Jesus said, no, this is part of the purposes of God. It's going to take place. So uh, Jesus doesn't just die. He doesn't just get killed. He is laying his life down. He is a sacrificial death. And in his death and resurrection, there is an identification with mankind and their sin because it's the death, is the first and only death of a man that is completely sinless and innocent. I saw this week, uh, I was uh, WhatsApping with a friend of mine, and I saw in his profile pic, he had a picture of uh, tombstones uh, littered throughout a, 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 a lawn patch. And uh, the names on them were the leaders of, of various religions and, and Muhammad and Buddha and, and various uh, famous uh, philosophers and, and artists and, 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 and musicians. And the, then at the backdrop of that picture was the tomb of Jesus empty, which is exactly the picture which is correct. This is not a competition because we're here comparing someone who claimed to be God in the flesh and the men and women that were to be saved by that very death. And so Jesus' death is not just the death of a human being. It is the death of the Son of God. Now I'm reading here from Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, and he himself, through to 18, and he himself, Jesus Christ, existed before all things. Awesome. And in him all things consist or cohere and are held together. And then verse 18 says, he also is the head of his body, the church, seeing he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And in Revelations, there's another scripture that also refers to Jesus as the first who is born from the dead. Awesome. And then it says, so that he alone in everything and in every respect might occupy, might occupy the chief place or have the preeminence, stand first and be preeminent. So Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? It means that Jesus 
is the first one that is coming from death, which was the curse on mankind, and he is the first one that is born as part of the new creation that God is bringing, who are those that come resurrected from dead into new life. And this is the description that is given to Jesus Christ. And obviously when Jesus is fulfilling his death and his burial and his resurrection, he is not doing it for himself. He's doing it on behalf of all of mankind. Acts chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3 also begins to show us the importance of the resurrection and how Jesus didn't just die. He was just not just buried and, and he raised and then He left in his ascension, but he spent time in order to give the apostles evidence about his resurrection. Because when Jesus was uh, taken captive at the Garden of Gethsemane by betrayal through the the kiss of of Judas, and when the, the, the soldiers arrested Jesus, all the disciples fled, including Peter, who tried to fight and all of that, but he made all sorts of proclamations about how he is willing to die for Jesus and all. But when Jesus got arrested, everyone became a coward. They all fled. And then after his trial, they thought maybe something will come. And then there was the whole thing where Pilate was willing to give up Barabbas or Jesus. And everyone said, no, crucify Jesus. In the end of the day, they were there standing at the foot of the cross, John specifically, realizing that their hope is gone. All the promises, all the excitement, all the three years of powerful ministry with the Messiah, the Son of God, over. The man is dead. He gave up the ghost. He's about to be taken down, put in a grave. It's over. All their dreams and plans and everything. They left businesses. They left family. They left friends. They were willing to be rejected by society to be associated with Jesus. And now he's dead. So what were were they going to do? Some of the disciples immediately went back to the fishing business. Immediately. If if your hope is gone, you go back to what you know. And that is exactly what they did. Many of them fled. Judas that, that, that that betrayed Jesus for a bit of money committed suicide by hanging. And Peter bitterly wept as he rejected and said that I don't know Jesus. So all of them were willing to turn their backs on Jesus. So when Jesus comes back from the dead, this is what it says in in the book of Acts chapter 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing to Theophilus, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and this is in the gospel of Luke, until the day, verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them, himself to them, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is the man that everyone saw being crucified. He was very popular in Galilee, very popular in Judea and Jerusalem. And he was crucified under trial of a Roman government of the proconsul, which was Pilate, under the supervision of the high priest Caiaphas and, and the Sanhedrin. And they made sure that this man is dead. 
And then afterwards, he's raised from the dead, and he's not hiding. He's showing himself around in Jerusalem with evidence and proofs. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome because our faith is rooted on the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, and he didn't hide himself after he was raised from the dead. He gave us enough grounding for us to have a, a foundation where we could say, I'm going to change my life and follow this man because he is true. He said he was going to die, he died. He said he was going to be buried, he was buried. He said that after three days he would be raised from the dead, and now he's here. And there was a, a, one of the disciples, um, Thomas, said, no ways. I'm not going to believe. I saw the man being taken. I saw him being crucified. I, I, I saw it. You guys are lying. You're trying to console yourself in your grief. You, no, I'm finished with this thing. I will not believe unless I put my finger in, in, the, in, the, in the holes in, in his hand and in his feet and, and here in his hide. Very offensive words. And then Jesus appears even to Thomas and says, put your hand here and put your hand here. And, and, and Thomas falls to his, his knees and he says, oh, my Lord and oh, my God. And then Jesus said, bless is the one who believes even though they haven't seen, which is us, obviously. Okay, now let's continue on to Corinthians. The apostle Paul, who wasn't, wasn't, uh, a born-again believer, a Christian, at the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension, he is the one that's he, he's pursuing Christians and crucifying and, and arresting them and, and exposing them as part of God's work because he really felt he was a, a Pharisee and he felt these people are deceiving everyone, lying about this Jesus. And so this Apostle Paul is the one that is met on the road to Damascus with letters from the Sanhedrin to arrest Christians. He is met by the risen Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are, whom you are persecuting. And Paul is blind for three days. And then he gets prayed for. He gets baptized. And he becomes one of the forerunners testifying <laughs> about this Jesus that was claimed and, and, and prosecuted and, and established as dead whom he was willing to kill people for, and now he's at the place where he's willing to die for the fact that he knows that Jesus is raised from the dead. Awesome! <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. And this is not some guy, he was a lawyer, he was a teacher of the law, respectable man. He didn't need to do anything in order... He was a man that was well established. This is just how the truth changes your life. If it's true, if it's true, then my life must be different. We're reading here the, the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, written by the Apostle Paul. And so he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have, been, on, on which you have taken your stand. And by this gospel, you are saved. Pay attention. And if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, you are saved by this good news. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So you have to hold firmly to this good news that was preached. And if you don't hold firmly, you have believed in vain. And then he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the prophecies. This is the amazing part. And then it says, verse four, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
and that he accepted, uh, uh, no, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the 12, verse 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, (laughs) most of whom are still living today at the time when Paul is writing to the Corinthians. So these are people that had an eyewitness account. They know that this is the crux of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. And he was raised from the dead, buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And then he appears to Peter the apostle, who went back fishing, who denied him, right? Who used to be a coward and then became this massive preacher willing to be beaten for for preaching in the name of a man that apparently died and doesn't exist. And so, then, that's not enough. He appears to all the other apostles. And then, he also appears to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. (laughs) And and some of them are still alive, but some have died, he says. Then, verse 7, then he appeared to James. This is an amazing part that many people don't realize. So he appears to James, and the reason why this is important is because this is James, the brother of Jesus. This is a man who grew up seeing Jesus growing up, and there's a scripture that speaks about how a prophet is without honor in his own household, among his own family members, and in his own hometown. And so James did not believe in Jesus during the the ministry time of Jesus. And the historical account is that James had a little bit of a resentment towards Jesus because he was drawing a lot of negative attention to the family. And who is this Jesus anyway? And so James was definitely at the side of the unbelievers. And then Jesus, after the resurrection, appears to James and says, Hey, Jamal, <laughs> you, you must thought that, that this was all a lie. I'm alive. And James was there. He knows because he knows that Mary was there. And so Mary, he, James is finally like, yeah, mom, you know, that, that boy is gone. The tribal maker is finally gone. I'm here to finally take care of you. And obviously John as well. And so Jesus appears to James. And this is amazing because James then changes this way until he becomes the bishop and the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. And he dies a persecuted death under martyrdom. And then it says, he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And verse 8, and then it says, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul, as to one abnormally born. Then it says in verse uh, 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead, because there was some controversy saying, no, once you die, you die. There's no resurrection. But Paul is saying, no, if Christ is raised from the dead, how, how do you claim that people don't get raised from the dead? And I've already told you that he's appeared to many witnesses. In a court of law, you only need one or two eyewitnesses. It's done. Prosecution's case rests. And then verse 13 says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. Meaning, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then it means that Jesus is also not raised from the dead. And verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain and empty and useless. Our preaching, we must stop preaching. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, I must stop being a pastor now. 
I must stop this, this deceiving of people. I must stop doing it now. We must stop preaching the gospel now. We mustn't waste another second on something that is not true. And then he says, verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So it means that we, if we are preaching this gospel and Jesus is not raised, we are false witnesses of God. We, we are fraudsters. We should be arrested for misrepresentation. In fact, we raise money on the basis of this gospel in order to reach more people, in order to, to allow the church to, to have a, a, a base from which the message of the gospel and the cross and the resurrection can go. We should stop doing that if Christ is not raised. But if Christ be raised, then our boldness should be ever unstoppable because we are busy with the most important event in the existence of mankind. Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. If Christ is not raised, then our sin issue is not dealt with. And that means that if one, we, 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 we are fraudsters and deceivers, and if we are not fraudsters and deceivers, then it means that our position that we have with God of boldness and righteousness does not exist and we better find a different way to God. Verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All the family members and friends that died having their hope in Jesus, knowing that there is a better resurrection after this life, they are all just dead. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, no hope. And verse 19, and it says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, and we don't have hope for the next life, we are of all men most miserable, another version says, to be pitied, if we only have hope for this life. But now is Christ risen from the dead, verse 20, and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, which is the man Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23, but every man in his own order. Christ the first fruit afterward, they that are at Christ's they that are Christ at his coming. And then verse 24, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And verse 25, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So the resurrection of Jesus is addressing so many aspects, our hope for afterlife, our hope for living a life based on the truth, our hope for an eternity in reconciliation with God and not separation with God or hell and damnation. And I, I, I did some research concerning the four categories for evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are four categories that if you want to speak to friends and family, you can speak boldly. We're not talking about um, religious facts here. We are talking about historical facts here. You know, sometimes you meet with parents 
who will say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to take my children to church. I don't want to force religion. I don't want to force Christianity. I don't want to force them to believe in Jesus and all of that. But those very same parents, when their kids answer wrongly to a maths question, they will correct them and say, no, it's not like that. And if the child says, no, but I believe that two plus two is seven. (laughs) Mom, that's my belief. Don't judge me. The parent will say, nonsense with your belief. This is the truth, and and it's based on X, Y, Z. Now, the resurrection is one of those kind of facts that parents and family members need to be much more dogmatic about it. Why? Because it is true. If it is not true, then don't waste your time. But if it is true, and you can examine the claims, the truth concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most proven facts concerning historical, historical accounts that we have compared to any other. The number of manuscripts, the number of proofs, the eyewitnesses that are Christian and non-Christian, the, the, the proofs that are biblical and outside of Bible, historical, archaeological evidence is so sufficient that if you are not living on the basis of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are deceiving yourself willfully. Willfully. And I've got good news for you. (laughs) That there's evidence. Now, what's the first category? Number one, the question is, was Jesus actually dead? Because there are some theories that say, no, Jesus could pretend to be raised from the dead because he didn't really die on the cross. That has been refuted multiple times. There's no evidence anywhere that people survived the, the Roman crucifixion. Those guys were expert, expert, expert assassins. They, they would meet out the judgment and, and heap all sorts of offenses and humiliation together with it. And then there are atheists, historians, that will corroborate the fact that Jesus actually died. There's no question about this. And then there's some peer-reviewed medical research that was done in universities in the USA concerning the, the, the evidence, the medical evidence, in terms of what Christ went through in terms of his trial and the judgment and the punishment that he went through that proves that he could not have survived that even before he was jabbed with the javelin on the side. So that's number one. Jesus definitely died. That's evidence because <laughs> you might take it for granted, but there are people that say, no, he didn't really die, especially in, in Islam, right? So very important. Number two, the early eyewitness accounts and the creeds for the resurrection are not far from the account from the time of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the further away you are from when an event happened, the longer, the, the more prone the facts are to, to being uh, distorted. You know this game that we, uh, that we play as kids called telephone or telefoinky, where you, you make a string of kids and you whisper resurrection, uh, Jesus is raised from the dead in this ear, and then they have to pass it to, on to the next person and that person to the next one, whispering. By the time they get to person number 30, they are saying, Jesus is my mother's friend. <laughs> as a distortion of Jesus is the resurrection because of the time lapse. And so when you want evidence and you're looking at evidence, you want it to be as close as possible, especially eyewitness evidence. You want it to be as close as possible to the event that happened. And we have access to manuscripts and, 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 and uh, evidentiary documents that are that close to the event, almost months away from the, from the crucifixion. 
And these were written and, and, and taken note of by eyewitnesses. And then you will see the creeds of the church that they've been, that they've been committed to are backdating to that very time as well. And, you know, these are by people who had their faith. They had Moses. They had Judaism. Why on earth would they follow someone who died, who wasn't even helping them with the, with the Roman um, invasion and, and getting in, emancipated politically? There was no reason why they should have followed Jesus if he didn't really rise, rise from the dead. They had enough in Judaism. And so, because of that, they were willing to change their, change their convictions and follow, follow through. That. So that's evidence number two. Then number three is the empty tomb. The confirmation that the tomb was empty is also agreed throughout. I mean, the, 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 the Jewish rulers and, and religious leaders wanted to pay soldiers to, to, to spin a story saying, no, say that the disciples stole the body. So the proof or the agreement is definitely that the body wasn't there. <laughs> they couldn't find the body. There was an issue. And so they had to spin some kind of story, but there was no question as to, no, here's the body, and people are claiming that he's raised from, the, raised from the dead. That's the empty tomb. And then number four is the eyewitnesses. There are no fewer than nine ancient sources in and outside of the Bible that corroborate the fact that there was a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is very important and very critical. And once you have this information, it's not enough. You now have to make a decision. You have to decide, am I going to turn a blind eye to the truth? Or am I going to live by the resurrection? Once you believe the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ, that's when the power of the gospel begins to work in every area of your life. For this life and for the next life. I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There is a life that is because of the resurrection that is coming, that that was by the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, that is working in us now. Now. <laughs> now. This is why the miraculous is something that should be common for the believer. Because there is a supernatural life that raised Christ from the dead that is working in us as well. The next scripture is John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to, to Mary and Martha, he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believed in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me or whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. Jesus says this. This is when John meets him in his glorified state. Jesus says, I am the living one. (laughs) I was dead and now look, behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, or death and the grave, the realm of the dead. So Jesus is not only raised from the dead, 
He is alive and he's alive today and he's saving lives, he's healing the sick, he's changing nations, he, he's impacting communities, he's raising up the widow and the orphan, he's doing amazing things today and you can get to know Jesus, the living Jesus, not the historical in the book, in the Bible story, in the manger Jesus, the Jesus that is raised from the dead, King of kings and Lord of lords, the firstborn from the, among the dead, the one who rules the nation, the one who will be the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one that is alive today. And we have this hope that we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us today. Wherever you may be, if you are a believer already, let your conviction concerning your faith be solid. Meditate on this message for the rest of your life and you will see the fruit of it coming forth in a powerful way. And if you are not born again, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is your day today. You see the evidence is plain. Let the Holy Spirit begin to draw you into a place of relationship with Him. The Word of God says, if we believe that God, that Jesus died for our sins, and if we confess with our mouth that God raised Him, and we believe that God raised Him from the dead, and we confess Him as Lord, we will be saved. We will be saved. Our salvation is based on this gospel, that Christ died, definitely. He was buried, yes, but He is resurrected from the dead, and we are living His life today. And this is why baptism is so critical. When you are going into the water, you are being buried with Christ. When you're coming out, you are being raised with Christ, and you are elevated to and seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. And those of us who are alive when Jesus returns will receive a glorified body just like Jesus. Can it eat? Yes. Jesus ate fish after the resurrection. He said, I'm not a ghost. <laughs> give me fish. Give me bread. Let me show you. Does a ghost eat? Does a ghost eat bread and fish? And so they touched him. They handled the word of life. He's alive today. And he can make a difference in our lives. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for revelation and conviction. I pray that each one of us will get this in our hearts and that it will begin to bear fruit and transform our lives and then the lives of our families, the lives of our communities and our nation and the nations of the world to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday. May you continue to meditate in this and preach it wherever you go because it is true, especially to your children. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.